Welcome to Behavior Grooves. My name is Kurt Nelson. And I'm Tim Houlihan. Given the strange and turbulent times that we are living through, Kurt and I decided to reach out to some of our favorite behavioral science researchers and practitioners to get their take on the novel coronavirus pandemic that is shaking the world. These special edition episodes will explore a variety of different aspects of the crisis and our response to each of those aspects through a behavioral lens. We know that you may feel overwhelmed by the crisis already. It seems every news story, every social media thread, every phone conversation that we have is focused on some aspect of the pandemic right now. While the news and updated information are essential, we're going to take a different tact. We want to try to understand the science behind our reactions and our behaviors and how science can help us cope and move beyond the current crisis. In each episode, we talk with a different behavioral science expert and get their best thinking on an aspect of the crisis. So sit back, take a deep breath, and listen to our special series on behavioral science and the coronavirus pandemic. Kaveh Yastafard is the Chief Innovation Officer at Sahab Pardaz, located in Tehran, Iran. He is also the Director of Urban Innovation for the city and COO of Avatech Accelerator, a firm focused on empowering business startups through value-driven cultures. While much of Kaveh's work is focused on collaborating and creating value through innovation, we were particularly interested in speaking with him about the way he applies cognitive psychology and data science to his work. At this writing, Kaveh and his teams are developing initiatives in Iran to help individuals and businesses survive the uncertainty and ambiguity of the crisis. Kaveh, welcome to Behavioral Grooves. Thank you, Tim. Hi, and it's a pleasure to be here with you. Oh, we are excited to have you, Kaveh. So, so help, uh, Tim gave a little bit of an overview, but can you expand upon that a little bit? And, and what is the actual work that you're doing right now? What, what's some of that work that is uh, taking up your time these days? Yeah, sure. Um, in the recent years, um, as you know, the very young population of Iran has shown a lot of enthusiasm towards uh, innovation and tech-based startups. So as we have learned to uh, be very adaptive and uh, flexible towards all the global challenges in Iran, uh, we are trying to empower the, the young generation to make the best of the decisions in the field of um, business innovation and uh, service design. So uh, I've tried to come up with the best-in-class um, resources and material that helps the Iranian uh, startups and teams to uh, make a bulletproof approach to their innovation. But on the other hand, we have experienced that most of the economical growth um, is happening through a corporate contribution to the innovation ecosystem. That's why I have kind of balanced my efforts into corporate and uh, uh, startup ecosystem, which has made it easier to find a smart way to develop uh, our innovations and startups. So what is it like right now in Tehran? It, this is a, a, a country that I understand there's about 73,000 cases of COVID. There's about 4,500 people who have died from the virus. Uh, businesses are shut down. Uh, what what's what's uh, what is innovation like in a time like this? <laughs> um, well, just like any other parts of the world, we are trying to follow the quarantine policies. Uh, but uh, most of the progress here is made by a very sacrificing. Um, community of physicians and um, health workers. This is very prominent here, as, as and you have you can see through the social media a lot of support for the uh, for these kind of people. And um, uh, but nevertheless, it's not going any better for the time being. And we are a little bit worried, and uh, we estimated um, this to finish by the middle of the spring here. Uh, but mm. now most of the universities and most of the inst institutions are showing interest to, to stop uh, the physical presence uh, by at least the end of summer. Wow. 
Yeah, so it sounds like you, along with many other parts of the world, are, are dealing with this in a similar way where the health workers, that frontline people out there are the ones who are are taking the brunt of this, but also deem our respect. You talked about the young people in in Iran and, and just kind of their adaptivity of this. Are you seeing the same thing with this crisis? Are, they, are the younger people adapting? Uh, and, and I ask that because we've seen in the United States uh, that sometimes the younger people are, are taking this with a little less severity than some of the older people. They feel less of a risk for themselves and less of a, of a I don't know, uh, concern over their ability to, to, you know, hurt others or their, their ability to be hurt by this. So I'm wondering what you see in, in Iran about that same thing. Yeah. And, well, um, there are two sides for this. First of all, um, yeah, through the life of human beings, through history, the most adaptive ones have always survived. So the people who can cope with this situation, who has tried to cope with lots of global crises in Iran, you know, the sanctions and everything. So they are they are uh, very, um, let's say, adaptive to such problems. So there's a there's a higher chance for them to find a way to cope with the stress, to uh, stop the anxiety and to to keep the level of the stress in a way that it can help them learn a lot of uh, new things in this opportunity to create new bonds and benefit from this global accessibility that has been created. Iranians are, they have learned to uh, become great entrepreneurs and cherish the opportunities because of all these uh, stresses that they have undergone. So, so this is one side. But on the other hand, there's a global tendency to kind of submerge in a culture of um, um, using technology just for the welfare and happiness of human beings, which is totally elusive in my opinion. This has created a lot of um, bad habits for us, which are very difficult to, to overcome. I mean, um, there are people who have been accustomed to a routine, daily routine, which is very hard to get separated from these days. As um, we believe, one of the great lessons of these uh, these times is for us to learn to change the game and to adapt to the new paradigm of win-win strategy. This is the message which is not uh, usually conveyed to the world through the, let's say, the, the economy that is ruling the world. You have to win the game uh, in the at the cost of beating the other competitors. Right now. It's a win-win situation. Either you can help the other ones which are sinking to come up, or you will all go down together. And, and I'm not bragging. This is really what I see in, even in the social media in Iran. You know, um, the e-learning um, context, for example, in Iran, it's not. it was not very much uh, appreciated by a lot of people. The critical mass that could help it uh, really grow and create an, a, an impact in the social level. But these days as none of the people uh, have the luxury of going to the school or university, they are trying to benefit the Instagram lives as one of the few channels that you can uh, have um, uh, content production in mass scale. And you wouldn't believe it, Kurt. The, the number of people attending uh, like the lives we are having is more than 1,000 people in a session. Wow. That is that is really inspirational to a certain degree where you think about adaptability of, of those of, of the younger generation and people coming into that. Tell us more about this win-win strategy. And 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 again, you you mentioned that a little bit. So what's going on with that? Why is that taking uh, precedence at this point? This is really um, this is disappointing because uh, we are we are um, living in a world where there are lots of stakeholders to each business. There are lots of people who are kind of engaged with every service, every business activity that we deal with, and um, I'm, I'm I'm very much concerned with the way people have grown this uh, egocentric manner of doing business. To, to follow just the profitability of the shareholders. And I'm not trying to be socialistic because I'm not, but, but this is the natural <laughs> essence of human being to, to uh, respect 
the contribution of nature, other people, the public, and other uh, parts of the uh, an ecosystem, like competitors and customers. And the, you, you could see ethically things were waning away. And uh, I'm again trying to be realistic and frank, not um, not bragging about this. Right now, there is one way ahead of us in Iran and everywhere. Uh, we have to um, make this benefit spread all through the ecosystem. You know, the, uh, the, the kind of limitations that is put upon us uh, is seen by people as two different things. Some people regard it as an opportunity to change behaviors, what is the key topic of your um, uh, talks here. And some people are trying to just cope with it and survive. And this is what you what you were pointing at, the adaptability. And I believe um, most of those of us, through these last two or three months, who has tried to take an advantage of this to create and, and share the value to all people, have personally also grown more than the others. And I have facts for this because I have a lot of empowerment programs, online learnings, and uh, community building efforts. I wanted to go back. That's fabulous. I wanted to go back to you talked about the illusion that we have of using technology for happiness. Can you talk more about that? Um, well, this is what I intrinsically come at. And I got it, let, let's say, validated by many ideologies around the world. Like uh, like the, the Chinese mysticism also talks about the presence of yin and yang together, the paradoxes together. What we have um, benefited from in the terms of technologies and uh, even the market, the capital market, the the businesses all around the world is is an, a kind of a business in which um, you are you have to survive by the decisions of your board just through the indicators which show the level of the profits. And this game, when accepted by a critical mass, is very hard to break. Okay. That, that's because you have been given time to show how you can do business in this world and nature has, has, has been backed off to see how you're dealing with, uh, with the happiness of everybody. But we have focused on our own happiness solely. Happiness has been overrated based on this uh, point of view, you know? Why should we be happy all the time? I mean, uh, if the point of life is to be happy, <laughs> uh, well, we can do a lot of other things. But, but I believe as we, we talk about sustainability, we have to respect the very contributing part elements around us. And um, I, I try to be more specific. For example, we have in Iran, we have oil industry as the, let's say, the most important part of the GDP, okay? The gross domestic production. Uh, apart from that, we have a very uh, huge and stagnant public sector. Um, which we are trying to get rid of, but we can't for the last 10 years. Um, and we have a very small uh, uh, portion of uh, startups, innovative companies, and, and public and private sector. Um, right now, these days, some, some companies in some sectors, like the food industry, like the health uh, sector, and, and um, also the tech sector, has uh, found a lot of um, opportunity to grow. I know a lot of startups who are trying to work on real-time live streaming and they have a lot of investments waiting for them. I know health startups that have been rejected all the time in the last three, five years, but right now they are uh, embraced by the investors, which have, has always been one of our efforts in trying to match these investors. Um, but we know that. If those investors only invest in um, certain tech companies and the consumers uh, are, are going away, fading away, the, the market size would, would change. And through this system dynamics approach, uh, you would go back to a lower level of success in the startups as well. So if we look at it in a systemic way and we see the dynamics of this, uh, the, the causal relationships, the only way to get rid of this is to get the weakest uh, parts of this chain to, to uh, more tolerable and uh, more tolerating and stronger to keep this going as long as we can find a cure for this um, whiplash effect, you know? 
Can you talk a little bit about some of the initiatives that uh, are going on in Iran to help individuals and businesses survive this crisis, this time of uncertainty? Yes, sure. Um, you know, we can divide, categorize the world's uh, the efforts uh, in two ways. Some of them are, are, are top-down, mostly policymaking by the institutions, public sectors, and, and some of them are bottom-up. To be realistic, what we have been working on is a bottom-up approach because the, the level of um, contribution from the top-down is not, not for one reason or another, focused on, on empowering these very little players. I don't want to get into the real reasons why it's not happening, but I want to get into the solution. <laughs> um, I believe every country, every nation has its own way of developing, and it, it can be very different because of the order of the countries developing and the way that the world is looking like. At this very moment, um, I believe um, we our own solution here, as Kurt asked, is to empower the communities which are, you know, they have the same identity and the same concern and vision uh, to, to help spread the knowledge, the awareness, and to spread the, the tools and to create um, a, a playground in which the tools are not replicated. But one tool is scalably used by many players. This way we can, uh, you know, kind of um, use the economy of scope as well as economy of scale for each player and to eliminate uh, the expenses and the efforts which are just going away because of not cooperating. Mm. So this bottom-up approach, I really believe in and I do believe one day in Iran you will see how um, influential these uh, bottom-up players have been uh, playing. One example I give you is the, the social media in Iran, okay? Okay. That's a very delicate uh, topic, but uh, I try to, to, to be very objective about this. Um, well, if you want to talk about the impact of, um, as you said, the efforts for empowering uh, institutions and peoples and businesses, you see uh, one of the players is the key opinion leaders and uh, people who we call celebrities or, let's say, social media influencers. And mm -hmm. they are being extremely influential because of the taste of people which is formed through the, uh, the course of the last uh, latest years. We have people with as many as uh, like 13 million followers in the inf influences on Instagram. 13 million for a stand-up comedian. The way is that, <laughs> way is that happening? Um, this is giving you a, a taste of uh, how the consumer behavior, how the media consumption is forming. And it, this is the essence of a great behavior change in Iran. You can ask people to do one thing at, through the media, social media, and it is far more influential than any other tool. And, and, and so you can see by giving awareness through the right channel, using the goodwill people to be influential, not the people who are following, like, as I said, not respecting the, all the stakeholders, you can be hopeful about forming strong players and revitalize them. Yeah, we talked with Christina Bicchieri uh, about uh, social reference networks. Mm -hmm. And one of the big pieces of that is those reference networks need to be, uh, for instance, as you said, you know, a comedian with 13 million followers, that reference network is probably different than, you know, others who, who may be following news organizations or others. And so you have to understand who your audiences when those social media things, but you also have to understand those reference networks get information from different sources and those sources need to be um, seen as, as part of that reference network that, that they have. So it, it is hopeful. And I, and I'm glad to hear that there's uh, cause again, I think the same thing is happening around the world. I think a lot of the, the, the social media influencers are trying to be, good about this. They are, they're, they're understanding that they have a, a platform and that platform can actually impact people's lives. So um, it, it is, I, it is, a, it is one of those things that I think is really 
a, a good sign from all of this. Well, I, I'm just wondering if this bottom-up strategy will work better if there's more investment or less regulation. I wonder if I, I've got kind of two things going in my mind, regulation and investment. And how are you persuading investors to support these groundswell efforts in, in a time that's still that's obviously very risky right now? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a very important point. I was uh, much concerned about this, the, the role of investors in this bottom-up approach. When, when I was active in urban um, innovation and urban crowdsourcing in Tehran, as, a, as one of the uh, largest cities in the world. Um, you know, we have, we have different people in policymaking. Like in, in municipality of Tehran and the Tehran City Council, we, we have a new generation of uh, people like us who are not traditional anymore and trying to really utilize the innovation uh, in the form of uh, tools like crowdsourcing to, to make the city decisions distributed. But... Uh, I was um, um, I came to this obstacle that there a lot of initiatives can be crowdsourced, but the moment we want to scale them and make them into a larger impact, we need to fuel them with enough finance, as you said. Specifically, when there is operation intensive uh, uses like an urban innovation case. So um, this is what I mean by the specificity of an activity in the world, specifically in Iran. Uh, the type of investors that we have uh, developed mentally and behaviorally is a type of investor which feels a lot of um, social responsibility because they have gone out of Iran, they have experienced all around the world, and one of their sole wishes is to have their country and their city uh, flourishing. So there are lots of people who are trying to come back and invest with no rational reasons to do that financially. This is what I mean yeah. by uh, a decision which is not for the sake of uh, shareholders, you know, because they, they, yeah. they believe the future can help them. And this is like investing in their own future, the future of their businesses. But nevertheless, there are people here, people um, have a lot of spiritual thoughts as well. You know, the Eastern uh, ideologies really help them to believe in karma and the result of their deeds to come back. So, Yes, we have a tradition of charity uh, in Iran based on our beliefs, and they are conducting these kind of charities to very um, more useful and more effective, uh, let's say, applications thanks to technology and uh, the benchmarks and the lessons we have learned uh, from the world. How has behavioral science been accepted? And, and how is that mix with technology in, in some of these areas that are being in there? Sure, sure. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a great point here at, the, at this moment of Iran. Iranian students, Iranian pupils all around the world, they are prosperous. They have entered Stanford, uh, PhD seats. They have taken a lot of seats in American top universities in Harvard and MIT. And, and this is, as, as we are born, we are told that, okay, there are different universities you can go to. One is Harvard, one is MIT, one is Stanford, and all of us have the caps of UCLA or Berkeley. <laughs> so this is a value for us to go and follow our um, uh, you know, education in a very elegant school. But most of us are utilizing technology following our previous questions and talks about technology in a way that we can learn more. Iranians uh, present on the, uh, let's say, education platforms, the MOOCs, Massive Online Open Courses, yep. are a lot. Yeah, because they, the young generation is very, very fluent in English in a very, uh, with a very good accent, and so they can communicate themselves well. They are very um, active and extroverted uh, overly, collectively. So they want to take part in a global community, and you can see them. So you can see everywhere in the world, universities from Armenia to Italy to Germany to Netherlands, a lot of them, and Scandinavia and and United States and Canada, you can find a lot of them. This is why they go after hot topics like behavior, behavioral economy and uh, change management techniques. Um, We have, uh, our, our team have been involved with usages like consumption of energy in Iran, 
the use the traffic and the traffic jams policy making and a lot of other beneficial usages in Iran the point is again bottom up we have tried to educate our policy makers bottom up approach so we have brought them a lot of new papers a lot of new uh, documents and see look at the world they are evolving through changing the behavior not the mindset only so <laughs> these people the new generation are really adaptive to these new techniques but one problem is the ever existing uh, bureaucracy which is the heritage of this public sector i'm very optimistic about this the behavior um, change topics Every day I see new startups. Every day I see new, let's say, public suggestions to institutions. And I'm, I'm one of those people who are educating people, uh, communities to utilize this as a tool in their innovative initiatives. And that's, that's how we grow in Iran, by, by creating communities bottom up. That is, uh, that's, that is fabulous. And it's inspiring too, Kaveh. It's very inspiring to think about a new generation coming in. Uh, and, and I appreciate your optimism. <laughs> I think that that's, <laughs> it's, it's absolutely necessary to be optimistic about this. Along with this tremendous energy and enthusiasm from the youth, there is an opposing force from people who are more traditional and less interested in change. What are the things that, uh, from a behavioral perspective, that you see the youth doing to try to overcome these traditional approaches? One of the key factors that is changing even the more resistive uh, generation uh, is the, the, you know, pyramid, the age pyramid in Iran is to the side of the youth. Uh-huh. So they are more numerous, they are more influential. Uh, you can see a lot of confrontations between this modernity and tradition, okay? Mm-hmm. And um, this is interesting. This is the topic of a lot of artistic uh, content. Uh, you go into the subway, you see one using a Kindle to read and the other elder being in a very, very different mood. Um, the, the point is, uh, to be honest, the entropy is towards uh, a very... Uh, let's say influential young generation. So we are not much worried about that. But the people who are in charge and those traditional people, yes, they are an obstacle. But nevertheless, the discourse of innovation, adaptiveness towards technology has been one that is winning a lot of public. So um, this change, this behavior change is, is happening. What we're concerned of is that this is not developing in a balanced way. You know, when you uh, are the not the pioneer in inventing a cell phone, you are a follower. So the behavior towards a cell phone here is kind of a followership, which is sometimes a little bit worrying. Um, I believe this has created a lot of, uh, you know, unbalanced um, development and progress in different aspects. This is... This is very um, important and lots of times forgotten. And events like this coronavirus is giving us uh, a kind of a shock to go back and review how we are using technologies like these hardware, like like those, like the, the internet itself or the, the media. And we, we see, oh, we could have used it much, much better not to come into the city to have our classes online because the traffic here is awful taking a lot of time, a lot of you know, pollution is one of the highest ones in the world. Uh, this is just one example. Apart from that, we have, uh, in every part of the world, we have, uh, let's say, a Gini effect, which is growing, like the, um, the rich people, the poor people. The, this, this gap is really this annoying and uh, not acceptable. But we have chosen to behave like nothing is happening. Right mm-hmm. now, our behavior is changing. We, we are uh, getting to see, oh, they were living like this, that we are living now? This is uh, intolerable, you know? Uh, so, yeah, I believe the behavior change, the traditional ones, the people who are more, let's say, stagnant, uh, they have tried to adapt themselves, but overly, we all have to adapt ourselves towards a better use of technology and innovation these days. So it sounds like this crisis, as you said, with 
yeah. hey, we can use technology instead of going into driving into the city, that there are some potential positive outcomes of this. Do you think some of those will stick after the COVID crisis is gone and that people will be able to, hey, let's take classes through, you know, electronically versus having to go into the city? What do you think will stick and what what will go back to status quo? Uh, this is a topic we talk a lot about as people uh, involved in behavior change. I believe this is too strong not to impose itself on lots of our behaviors for a long while. And uh, when, we, when we talk with other people who have different opinions, we are picturing a future uh, which has, let's say, two scenarios. Either we, we learn to stick into this behavior and we naturally get adapts or we will go away that that huge effect i was having a live uh, interview with one of our uh, anthropologists here he was pointing at the course of evolution and how many times we have undergone such a uh, disaster and lots like 80 percent 70 percent of the whole europe or world have disappeared and nobody is caring right now so this is yeah. the same now just because of the media is covering it, it, it looks more huge. But if 8 billion people of the 8.5 billion go away, the nature does its way and it goes on. It is. Uh, it is absolutely a necessity if we want to survive. What uh, do you think will, what do you think are the behaviors or the habits that we're developing now? Which ones do you think are likely to, to be strong and prominent in our future after the crisis is over? Some of them are um, health-related and hygiene-related. Mm. Uh, in Iran, you know, our sanitation uh, processes are different. Even our toilets are different. The, we, we never, we, most of us, we don't go into the houses with uh, shoes on like the Eastern countries. I've heard that this is happening. The same thing is happening in Europe and United States. A lot of people are changing their hygiene attitudes. I think this is one of the necessities of the of the post-corona um, era, if you're going to have this, we have to be very careful with, let's say, transmitting the, um, the microbes and viruses to different areas. But apart from that, non-hygiene-related ones, like um, uh, at a macro level, the way we go to work, the way we work, the way we live... I also think uh, one, one of the most important trends is the use of technology in facilitating inclusiveness and justice in, in, in education. Uh. As most of the people, we, uh, we have been uh, having a lot of other non-students in my university classes because it's open, it's online, so they can come in. Why not? Uh, they yeah. haven't paid. Who cares? Education must be free. It must be free. <laughs> so we, we didn't do that, but we are now taught how to behave towards it. Uh, also, technology will help us have, um, hopefully, a more connected, um, let's say, uh, business ecosystem. Right now, I see a lot of people uh, from different businesses coming together and think about how their industry as a whole, not one business, can um, can work in this situation, can decide. So collective decision-making is facilitated and imposed by the situation. Mm. So getting back to your questions, I also believe the families here are now strengthened much more. Mm. I'm seeing my daughter for a more quality time of the day, and I'm taking new roles, which I should have taken before. And I <laughs> regret All that. All of us. All <laughs> of us. <laughs> and the way I behave, my friends on social media um, has also changed. We are focusing on uh, more important topics. Entertainment industry uh, is more, resp more responsible. Uh, like even the... Uh, online services are more showing more responsibility. Everybody is having at the top of their mind how to help people uh, go through this and then uh, not to lose their businesses. This is, uh, I believe, this will uh, stay with us, uh, Tim. I don't think uh, this is something we can forget because in my perspective, it's not COVID-19, 
It's a lot of um, natural disasters that can happen based on our forgetfulness about the um, social and environmental uh, stakeholders. Very interesting. Kave, thanks so much. Thank you so, so very much for joining us today. This has been a wonderful discussion. We really appreciate your time and your insights. I've benefited to learn a lot and uh, I was inspired by your words. I'm sure we are going to try harder to create global communities now on. And I'm asking everyone, everyone to, to try to have a more global perspective, to, to let's have each other in our social media and create uh, initiatives which are not location limited because that was a very elusive borderline now that yeah. we're looking closer, isn't it? We found each other like days ago and now we are talking uh, on the cloud and this is this should should stay and should should be increased you know well the the you know the coronavirus doesn't recognize borders right it it, yeah. it literally doesn't care about the, our man-made difference borders and if you're in iran if we're in the united states that doesn't care and so i i hope i one of my hopes coming out of this is that we have a bigger global perspective and we understand that we're all interconnected in in this world and that we need to work together we need to understand each other and we need to be able to bring that perspective so that as you said let's get more people from various different backgrounds and various different regions and locations in our social media feeds and have conversations with with people from around the globe because we're all human and you know the what we're fighting today is a virus that doesn't care uh, about those other aspects that we sometimes so vehemently put up in place and kind of disregard all the other aspects of that so i agree and uh thank you for that Kippy. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate it all and thank you very much. I'm very much looking forward to it. Welcome to the special edition of our grooving session, where Tim and I groove on some of the ideas and concepts that were inspired by our conversation with Kave. All right. It was a good conversation. It was. It's interesting to get the conversation perspective from various parts of the world. For us being here in Minnesota... Mm -hmm. I was thinking about this. We've talked with people from England, from India, from uh, Amsterdam, and all Singapore. across Singapore, all across yeah. this country. Uh, and the the pandemic part of the pandemic is that this is truly a global yeah issue. That it was a good, was a good reminder. They're in lockdown in mm -hmm. Tehran. They're in lockdown in India. They're in lockdown in England. That there are deaths that people are looking at this and saying, we need to have this social distancing. If we don't, the deaths are going to be so high that it's just going to devastate us. So all of the world is responding. This yeah. is crazy. In our lifetime, it has never, we've never had a worldwide thing like this. Uh, at least not in our lifetimes. And, it, yeah, and it's and what it, I said in our lifetimes, we've not had. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, that's, that, that's perfectly said. But I just wanted to make sure that everybody knew it was just in, in our, our lifetimes. lifetimes. Yeah. yeah. It was just, it was just emphasis. <laughs> <laughs> well, because World War II was the last time that the entire world was probably impacted by something to this degree. Yeah. Okay. So, Kurt, what, uh, what, what struck you about our conversation with Kaveh? You know, he talked about adaptive people survive. The most adaptive oh, people yeah. survive. That's a cool concept. It is. And it kind of goes back to what we talked with with um, a couple of other guests, right? And this idea of resilience, but also this idea of we can't be so narrowly focused and so uh, focused in on efficiencies that we forget this larger picture that we maybe should build in redundancies. Maybe we should have a broader viewpoint of our own personal uh, learnings and roles. And I think that's really, again, interesting as we look through all these conversations that we're having, that narrow specialization maybe isn't so good in, in a time of crisis like this. You have to be able to have pull on a, on a wealth of other information knowledge skill sets that you gain um, and be adaptive. It's interesting that 
Cave was the second person to bring it up in a really prominent way. And and the the other person who I thought did a really good job of, of speaking about this was Michael Bowden from Syngenta, another business guy, right? And so, uh, I mean, Cave is an innovator and a, and, and a driver of, of business development. And I think that's interesting that both of them, this was a prominent part of the discussion uh, forum. And, and it certainly gets me thinking about maybe we just don't need the level of specialization that we think we need. Mm-hmm. That we're kind of bent on this. Everybody's got to have a unique selling proposition and a unique business purpose. And everybody has to have something unique. And of course, we all are unique. So, so that's, we don't have to work at it actually, because we just are, if we just, yeah. it's, it's the old, you know, why not be yourself because everyone else is taken. Yeah. You know, if, if we, I think if we were better at kind of giving into that, this might happen more naturally and it would allow us to explore more functional areas outside of just the one single area that make us uh, interesting and diverse and complicated and fun. Well, and you look at this adaptive, right? When we get stuck in status quo bias, but you look at some of the really innovative companies that are out there right now that are adapting to the situation. Some of the distilleries around here have, have, are making uh, hand sanitizer. Yeah. We're having, I was reading about a company that switched over its entire model to now being food delivery and they've tripled their revenues. It was a startup that had recently just had all these people and I forget what they were doing, but they moved over to to food delivery. And so people are adapting in these times. You look at all of the musicians that, hey, I can't go out and perform a live concert, so how am I going to do this? All the yoga instructors that are doing online things and using technology in ways that we had not thought of before uh, in, in these situations. Those are the adaptive skills that we need to have and to think about things not in that status quo, woe is me, life is crappy, that I can't go outside, I can't you know, work the way that I used to work, well, now yeah. I'm going to have to adapt. I'm going to have to figure out a way to survive. That's right. And I think people are pretty good at that naturally. Like you said, I'm the only me that I, there is. And let's let's figure out how to adapt that. Yeah. How to, how to just make me work. What did you think of uh, his comment about happiness is overrated? Being an American, uh, <laughs> happiness is pretty key, right? Um, yeah. I, it's interesting. I, I, I get where he was going with it. I like the concept that we need to find meaning and meaning is more important than and short term satisfaction, joy, sometimes I think can be overrated that short term happiness that Certainly. I will sit down Certainly. and watch the Netflix, you know, show as opposed to working hard on on something that will have long-term implications. But I think there's also been a lot of research, Sean Aker and others who are talking about happiness as a vital part of actually being productive. And and Sean Aker's work goes, this whole whole concept is, you know, people go, oh, if only I get to this level of, you know, I, I get a VP title or I get this house or I get whatever it will be that will make me happy and what he's found is that it's actually the opposite if you're happy you will get that level in in the organization you will get that beautiful house you will have all these other things and so the correlations are are backwards there yeah right Right. Uh, I, I'm a big subscriber to Dan Gilbert's and, uh, of course, Sean Aker. His his work is terrific. But Dan Gilbert, Ed Diener, these guys have been working on subjective well-being for a long time. And I think if, if they were right here right now, they would probably agree that happiness is not the most important thing, but it's it, it's damn well important. And it, it's, it is uh, – I think it's – in some ways, it's too much to say that happiness is purely overrated, but subjective well-being, the whole idea of actually living a life that is fulfilling and that we continue to strive and do things that that are meaningful to us, that brings us happiness and it gives us meaning. Well, and that's where I think this is going, right, is that happiness is gained not through the consumption of, you know, short-term things, uh, you know, sucked into video games. 
you know, <laughs> your alcohol, drugs, sex, whatever you you want it to be. But ha- wait, 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 true wait, happiness are, are those bad? <laughs> <laughs> They're not bad. It's just that those aren't necessarily going to lead to long term happiness. Those right, are short term right. thrills, and and long term happiness really comes from those things that provide meaning. Um, purpose in life. And yeah, those right. are those the types of happiness that I think we're talking about. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, I thought it was really interesting that he brought up the increasing power of celebrity reference networks, since especially since we've talked to Christina Bicchieri and Eugen Taman about reference networks and the importance that they have in social norms. And I just thought it was a kind of a fascinating and new observation, right? That that in light of seeing Tom Hanks being one of like the the first celebrities to get the coronavirus, I think he got it in Australia. Uh, he and his wife's uh, dealing with it, and then their recovery, and then kind of coming back into the the, the fold. I think that he makes a really good. Uh, reference, you know, uh, network or, or celebrity spokesperson for the virus, as long as he's sticking to the facts, as long as mm-hmm. he's sticking to the the medical story, which I, I haven't paid that much attention to him, but I but <laughs> I know that he's a big you know celebrity for a lot of people, and I'm sure a lot of people follow him, and I think it's great that we have these uh, these celebrity reference networks, as long as they're bringing the sort of the correct and proper and appropriate information to the people who follow them. Well, we know about the messenger in fact, right? We talked with yeah. Steve Martin and Joe Marks. Marks uh, about the messenger effect and how that messenger can impact how people believe things. And so with this, you have this influential celebrity reference network and they can be really powerful conveyors of accurate and good information. Going back to what we talked with Christina Bicchieri, part of the worry that I have is that they're going to be sending conflicting information, that Uh, they're not going to be thinking through their message compared to the official message compared to the other messages that they sent earlier or later, and you're sending messages that are confusing, conflicting, aren't driving the right overall behaviors. That being said, they're probably... a uh, on the positive side as opposed on the negative side. Well, we we have plenty of evidence of it happening on the negative side, uh, regrettably as well. But yeah, and and that's true too. You can have you can have people who you know espouse conspiracy theories, who espouse the you know latest and greatest miracle solution to this, and everything's going to be all right. And we have to be concerned in those reference, celebrity reference networks, how that gets believed or interpreted, even if it's said it's done in sarcasm, because people don't take that as sarcasm. They take it as reality, and therefore, they act upon it. And some of those actions can actually have detrimental effects for them and for others, really detrimental effects in this this time and situation. Because uh, cities are reporting the number of nine one one calls for uh, for ingesting of Clorox bleach and Lysol have increased a hundred percent in in just recent days, and um, that's yeah. not fake news. That's that's actual data from several, not all cities, but from several cities. Words matter. Yes, they do. And and who speaks those words matter as well. So the idea that they're increasing the power of the celebrity reference networks can be a good thing if it's used for good. Yeah. Right. Uh, what was this thing from Spider-Man? Uh, with great power comes great responsibility. Isn't that the my, Spider-Man motto? Something like that. Is it? I think it goes back to like Plato or something or, or, <laughs> or an, or no, an no, emperor no, of no, Rome. <laughs> no, it, it's, it comes from Spider-Man, damn it. It's the, it's, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. And, and that's what celebrity reference networks are. And it's important to understand the influence that you have. And part of this is the influence that all of us have. There's influence that each and every one of us has within the influential network that we have. And so our words matter. The way that we talk about things, our actions matter. So all of this is really important. Yeah. 
And in this time of uncertainty, that's part of what we need to take into consideration. Yeah. So, all right. I hope everybody's enjoyed this. And if you have, share this. Share this with others. If you share it with two people and they share it with two people and they share it with two people, it's almost viral, like a virus. <laughs> Let, I don't yeah. know if that's the best best yeah. metaphor at this point, but that's no. all. Uh, but uh, we we definitely uh, hope you guys have enjoyed this, and if you can share it, uh, leave us a review. We we always um, are very thankful for that as well. It's how we get the word out and how we spread uh, our information. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the special episode of Behavior Grooves. We hope that you found it interesting and insightful. If you liked it please let others know. We think that the topic is important and maybe we can help in educating people about how behavioral science can help us all out in this current craziness that we are going through. Also, please let us know if you have any thoughts or ideas that would be helpful or that we could share. You can reach us through the Connect tab on the Behavioral Grooves website at www.behavioralgrooves.com or through Twitter. I'm at T. Houlihan and Kurt is at What Motivates. We really do love hearing from you, and this topic is one that spurs lots of emotions and thought. As part of our mission, we want to expand and inform the community of people who think about positively applying behavioral science to life. One way that happens is through leaving reviews. If you think this podcast is beneficial and should grow, we would really appreciate to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast server you use. It only takes a few minutes and goes a long way to boost us in the algorithms that are used to generate search results. Also, please check out the show notes. We are linking to a number of resources articles, podcasts, newsletters that we vetted to bring good facts and ideas around COVID-19 and the coronavirus, its impact and ways that we can help slow down the spread. There is a lot of information that's being pushed out to everyone each day, and we are weeding through it to find good stuff so that you don't have to. We truly appreciate you listening. Now go out and wash your hands. Mm-hmm.